But when it comes to loving money, that's where the danger comes in. So, follow the analogy, if you will. And so, when we talk about this, this danger, this warning that it's between happiness and satisfaction and meaning and worth and to money and wealth, and not to love this, you have to ask yourself, am I on this team? Well, you know, do I love money? Let me ask you a few questions. Do you make sacrifices for it? When you listen, you make sacrifices for it. You make some compromises. You make sacrifices for money. Do you think about it often? For whatever reason, do you think about it often? You know, when you listen, you think about it. Are your actions controlled by pursuing and guarding that money? Right? Because when you lose the money, you, you do some things. You pursue them. You show them value. You show them worth. You, you guard them. You protect the relationship. Is money causing you to act in a way to pursue and guard it? Do you find security and comfort in money? You know, the way that you return to your best friend in prison. Am I doing it out of necessity and obligation? Am I doing it in the cost or in racism? But the truth is, we have not found ourselves wrestling with this question of how much of a boy's money will have in life and how much unhappiness is tied to it. And that's what he's saying. It's a really important thing. Right? Take every one of those questions I just asked you and put Jesus in there. Do you make sacrifices for Jesus? Do you think about him often? Are your actions controlled by pursuing him and guarding your relationship with him? And do you find security and comfort in him? <laughs> and look what just happened. We went from love into this idea of worship, and worship is nothing more than devotion. You see how intertwined this can be. So what's the, what's the warning? You can't find happiness with money. And if it's about love, then we have to love something or someone greater than money because the truth is money will never love us back. And see, this is why faith in God is so important because it's love and devotion and worship are, are so intertwined, they're easy bridges across. And when we worship God, we love God, and that begins to transform our hearts. It gives us a very different perspective about money and wealth, and a very different perspective about satisfaction, being satisfied, and being happy. And so, he comes to the conclusion saying, it's vanity, it's a waste of time to attach your love and devotion to money and wealth. It's empty, you're not going to be satisfied there. Don't love money because it can't love you back. The second uh, myth that I want to say for today is that money will solve my problems. Yeah. So then that comes back to the idea that I've stated this effectively. Like money doesn't buy happiness for this thing. And it's always focused on great conspiracy, right? The wheels fell off my car. I don't have the money to fix it. It's a legitimate threat to your life. And I'm not making light of that when I talk about this myth. There's certain things we've talked about that don't even want to exist. You know, this need. 
If you doubled your income, would you double your expenses? I didn't know what it was that thing. And it's so tiny. Why do we do that? Why do we drill him? Why do we care about that? I think that goes back to that first conversation that we have this desire to worship and we love beautiful things. We want to be devoted to beautiful things. What needs to change is our vision of beautiful. And it's always something to do in our heart to try to culture our affection to the person. And if it's time to materialize, then the problem is just multiplying with the age. See, what we look at mind to do. If we're looking at it to solve our problems, what we really say is that we want to use a way to get us what it can't get. We think if I just have a little more confidence in peace, if I just have a little more confidence in peace, I could just get to this point and all this or have that, and I have a sense of significance to accomplish what I've done something wrong, or I have some meaning to it, I just get to this level. And the truth is, money can't give you any of those things. John Wesley put it like this. The way he viewed money, Methodist preacher, the evangelist, he says, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. You want to know what I think? This applies to the most. You remember the rich young man that came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what's the best about everything? He gives you for a part. You know what Jesus was saying is, listen, you can't, you can't have this he said, You only tell one of your activities for the greatest good. How do you have eternal significance and purpose and work? How do you have this life that you have, Jesus? He's like, Let me give it to you. And then everything else is supposed to fall in front But you don't have to use your life. And he said, So, are you really willing to devote yourself to me to give you this purpose to make beautiful work? Or you going to devote yourself Where 
literally people are living in villages that are living in whatever scraps they can find in the island. They're raising their families in there, they're living in there, and it's all racism. It's all racism. And when it comes to happiness and joy and peace and such a word, I don't know, I don't know, yet to be the people that have gotten what they And you make them. I'm not saying they have nothing to do because they have real problems as well. Their hearts hurt when they come to close their And they just stop when, when they couldn't pay for the education. Did you know you had to pay for your kids' high school education in South Africa? That's how they keep them down. They go to land education. The problems are real, especially in this region, but the things are real. It's not tied to what they have, what they have. The things of value is not tied to what has to be good or any of that. The problems are there, and they need those resources to overcome those problems that are basic in this country. It's because they knew that value was tied to them being human, to them being alive, and being connected together. And the people that were ministering to had a very clear sense of God's love and His identity in them and their identity in Him. And so they had this incredible joy about them, even though it's nothing, and they say, Thanks to God, that they would likely never overcome in this life. They went through life and they enjoyed their existence for whatever it was, no matter how much it was. And money was just a resource. And because of that, this is sweet, incredible connection with them. They had the sense of peace that they could give to everybody in order to complete this life. But they had such a hunger. God meant rich people. They're still in the world, they're still stressed, they're still looking at what they're trying to do and accomplish with themselves. But they don't speak well. Did you know that like, in the zip code, it's a very wealthy zip code, that 30% of your family, 30% of the households, somebody has some kind of digestive issue that they're treating their food. It's just We have the value in our, in our bank balance together. See, this is true. A person plays well and enjoys what he does and, and works for the right reasons. He loves his work, they love their work, and they, they, they are just happy with where they're at in life. Doesn't mean that they don't strive for anything, they don't gain for anything, but they, they don't have to accomplish to feel valued. They accomplish because there is a goal out there to better the world. But it's not just about my value. I'll be valuable when I reach this goal. I'll be valuable when I get this amount of money. They just enjoy life for the right reasons. You see, and then there's some people that reach these goals and they say, well, I reach this goal and I have a sense of value and worth. There's been some research done recently on wealth and emotional health. And so there's some psychologists at the University of Rochester that study these effects of wealth, fame, and good luck, and how it affects people emotionally. And here's what they found. They found that the traits 
having those choices, right? Well, having those traits actually led people to higher rates of anxiety and obedience. Here's why. They said the reason for that is that they're extrinsic things. They're things that don't really, that aren't really required for humanity naturally. We don't have to have wealth, we don't have to have fame, and we don't have to have good looks to, to have value in life. It's extrinsic, it's outside. You know, but when we focus in on the internal things, meaningful relationships, personal growth, you know, the idea of having good health, well, people that perceive those things, those, those internal values that matter to everybody, when we perceive those values, they found that there were higher levels of self esteem and a greater sense of well being. There's happiness in those people. And so what I'm saying is, is that we can use riches to create a sense of worth, or we can have a sense of worth, and whatever riches we have, we use them to make a difference. And, and so it seems that the more people achieve their extrinsic goals of wealth and fame and, and such, the more they tend to feel like they were pumped, that they were on a treadmill running forever, and they weren't really in charge of themselves. Money is kind of way of lying to us. It won't bring us a piece of money. The next myth I want us to look at is that money provides security. Money provides security. You see this in verses 13 to 15. He says, There is a grievous evil. Spoke well, underline that, remember that, a grievous evil. There's this evil that just causes this massive grieving. There's a grievous evil that I have seen in some riches were kept by their own to the state, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he the father of someone that has nothing in his hand. And as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing in his toil, that he may carry away his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go, and what gain was there to him, he tore him from the river. Moreover, all his days, he eats in darkness, and much vexation and sickness is in him. Grievous sense of security to money is a grievous there's some strong language in it. Here's one. Our sense of security should be attached to our sense of identity, and our sense of identity should be something like God. It's trusting the gift that comes from God. Trusting the gift of God in love. And allowing him to be our sense of security that everything else can fall from that, flow from that, to be used in order to from that. But when we don't do that, we take God out of the equation, we look for a sense of security in what we own, in what we have, in what we have. We grieve. And it's evil. It loves us. It makes us less, right? The word evil means to devalue. To take someone's original value and to devalue. Our original value is found in God. 
evil is to turn away from all that God is for something less. It loves it, it creates a disconnect, it, it changes our motives and our hearts, and it can lead to all kinds of darkness and brokenness. And what he's saying is what makes that grieving and, and this devaluing is attaching our hearts to something that can never bring us any good. It can't pay us back. And he says two times there's a grieving. And he says, here's why, because there are two ways that we try to find security with money. We afford and then we invest, improperly invest. Right? So he talked about there's a guy who acquired all of this wealth and he hoarded it to his own fruit. So we're not talking about saving, we're not talking about planning, we're not talking about dreaming, we're not talking about good financial management, we're talking about hoarding. This, this underlying greed that causes us to consume, acquire, and hold back and never allow any good to come out of our money. We just hoard it, we protect it. Our kids need help? Sorry, kids, let me help you. You know what I mean? Seeing somebody that's, that, that's poor, seeing the need that you can meet, that you can sacrifice a little, that you can do some good, saying, you know what, you need to be important. You know? And it's this idea of important. It's like, I keep it all, I keep it all, I keep it all, right? And, you know, put the mental image of your mind in the reality series, orders. And if they do it with any little thing in their house, they don't throw anything at it, it just piles up, piles up, piles up. And it's this darkness where they get in this trap where they got to have it and they lose their sense of security if something from that house is taken from them. In this case, it's all about money. I lose my sense of security if I lose any of my money. And it's important to come. And then there's this idea of investing. It's where, you know, I'm trying to hoard and I'm trying to multiply at any risk and at any rate when you invest in a bad venture and it all goes away. Or you invest in good faith thinking it's going to be there like Ponzi scheme, and before you know it, it's all gone. Now, if you lose your sense of worth and your sense of despair comes because you lost anything, then you might be finding security in your life. We had people during the last few sessions who lost their four hundred one k. And in their forties, they lost their four hundred one k, and they took their life. I think they lost their peace or their family. They lost their four hundred one k. It's an extreme example of this. And the thing is, it's a grievous evil to your sense of security to how much money you make or how much money you can afford or invest or buy. See, there's a difference between trusting in the security of God and His hand and His opportunity and trusting in the security of our hand and our opportunity, what we create for ourselves. And what God really wants us to do is to trust Him for security. And what we do is to allow us to manage money well. And leverage it for good. See, the difference between good money management and hoarding and investing for selfish reasons is simply this the idea of stewardship. This is the biblical truth. Stewardship means that God has given me all ability, given me my breath, my life, my family, my days, where I live, where I was born, where I died. And there's all of that God entrusted us to you. And I'm going to live my life in a way that honors him because I believe that what he really came from him belongs to him. But I leave this life by giving my life back to him. Whatever God's given me, I give back to him. Stewardship is the idea that God has given it to me, that I'm going to care for it, and use it as if God himself is using it here. 
as a spiritual thing. It does not begin without the idea of ownership. You see, that's what was in the Bible. Like, you know, most of the house would look at someone else's house and say, which of these stories have to run away for a year, two years, three years, and make a trip all across the world, and then be away. And then, you know, you're going to get first house and watch other things, because your family, my wife, my possessions, my flock, what you can do, and I think it's honestly. And the expectation of that person that's watching all of these stories is that one day, that that honor would come from to enjoy life just as it is. It's seen as his own making own decisions what he felt was. He, he was there as a student of character and just the only way to This is what Christianity talks about with life. This is what Christianity talks about with money. This is what Christianity talks about with education and opportunity. It's stewardship. God gave it to you, how did he use it? And when you get the idea of stewardship, then, then the idea of saving and investing keeps on an entirely different thing. But without that, what's that for people? And if the compass is having a sense of security, you have a way to survive. Next to me, God doesn't want me to enjoy money. So it's like at this point, it's like, it's pretty cool. You know, it's a thing that doesn't really enjoy money at all. There's no purpose or work or meaning in that. It's like it's just bad just to avoid it altogether. And that's not true. Verses 18 to 20 say this Behold, what I seem to be good and good, what I seem to be right and good, is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. So this is his life. It is over. He says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his life and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy. So God's not looking at money and saying, you know, it's evil if you have it, if you consume it, if you, you manage it well, if you, you know, you, you, you're not saying that that is bad. What he's saying is he's trying to find your enjoyment. He's like, I want you to enjoy what you have. He spends two times in the I want you to enjoy your toil. I want you to enjoy your work. I want you to enjoy what you do to acquire the money that you have. And then I want you to enjoy life apart from that. So I can enjoy your work and enjoy life and money and money. It's just enjoy eating and drinking with families and friends. He keeps coming back to the simplicity of having people over at your home, enjoying the meal together, and enjoying the company of people around you. Over and over again, when he comes back to the meaning of life, it's like, enjoy that everything comes from God, and enjoy the people that are in your life in this moment of life. Have a meal together. Slow down. Stop striving. Stop worrying. Open up the table. Have a meal together. Laugh together. Cry together. Play together. Serve together. Have joy together. But don't worry about money. Don't worry about planning and planning. Don't worry. You know, just unplug and enjoy that you're alive because I have provided for you this how much money you have or how little money you have, you have one thing in common. You're on the planet today. You will find something. And you will find your 
You don't need money to have people in your house to have food. You don't need a lot of money to have people in your life that you want to support you. What he's saying is that invest in the things that matter most in your relationship with God, in your relationship with people, and let everything else fall behind. What you can do in your life. There's nothing wrong with sitting in your house and saying, Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the opportunity I have to stay. The opportunity I have to work. Thank you for the people that are in my life that I get to really have to teach it to me. But you know, it's about knowing who you are and how you are. You bring a lot of other people. You bring a lot of people to God. And you become a miserable person. And then the way you want to be, you're special to God. That's the joy that God gives you. The God is saying that you can do so much in joy, the simplicity of existence. If you would be so occupied with the joy that comes from here in your heart, that you can't remember you. And it's not that hard to see. It comes down to thankfulness that things come from God, thankfulness that it's a gift of God, thankfulness that I get to be here today for the people that are having a life of God. And knowing that that's the life that God wants us to find joy. The last myth that I want to read this morning is the myth of joy. Someone else can take them for Someone else will care for the poor. So we talk about the impact of having money on your kids. But if you're like most of us are like, oh, that's what you want, right? And it's so great when you're driving your car and you're in the middle of the road under the school system and you're able to afford a car to college or whatever you say. But I want us to step back from it. I want us to think about those who don't have much. And the truth is, because wealth is always relative to us, there's always something richer. When we talk about the rich in the Bible, that's never us. And if someone else says the rich can do something for the poor, it's like, well, that's not somebody else. We all live in some way, shape, or form that someone else can care for you. You want to know why, as a church, we value getting involved in the nonprofit? We do it because the greatest aspect of the world is from the person's standpoint. The person that we're doing is just good for us. The person that we're doing is really good for us. If you take the idea that someone else is rich and poor, we will lose everything. So there's a psychologist named Daniel Marston. He's got a PhD in neurological behavior and psychological disorders. And he has been doing a study that what poverty does to the human mind in the way we think and feel. You know, some of his research is pretty similar. He says that living at the poverty level 
people that experience significant higher levels of developmental learning and intellectual disabilities. So it, it physically messes with you. That's the effect poverty has on the thing. Mentally, it, it basically gets away with it. He says that it also leads to anxiety, withdrawal, and persistent mental problems. That's how it affects them emotionally. And he says that this affects 20% of our population in the U.S., and another 25% of us are at risk because we're right on that threshold of the poverty level. So you look what the Bible says about this in, in chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it's a very powerful passage. It says that if you see in the Proverbs the oppression of the poor and violation of justice and righteousness, you look around and you see people in poverty, don't be amazed at the matter. Why? For the higher official is watched by the higher, and there is yet higher over them. You know what he's saying? That there's not a system on the earth that protects anybody from finding themselves in poverty. Because no matter where you look on the earth, no matter where you find poverty, you're going to find an official holding the coffers of money over them, and then you're going to find somebody over them, and yet somebody over them. It doesn't matter what economic system you go to around the world. We have poverty throughout human history. We are going to have poverty throughout human history because there's always someone over them getting their own, and someone over them getting their own, and someone over them getting their own. And every time you look at getting my own, and saying, everyone else below, don't get yourself, they'll be fine. Anytime we take that attitude, no matter what economic system we have, and I'm telling you, that mentality is pervasive in every economic system. When we look at it like that, and we rely on economic systems to overcome, you know, poverty exclusively with food. What we're basically saying is that we need a better system to care for the poor, but I don't want any part of it. No matter what the system is. This is why I get frustrated with our conversations about income inequality. It is real. It is having devastating effects on people physically and emotionally, and all the solutions on the table are nothing more than what higher official is going to hold, and that higher official over them, and a higher official over them. We don't care about really fixing them. We care about who is in control of that poverty and wealth. And that's what comes from. You want to fix injustice, it's got to go a little deeper. See, there's a bureaucracy in poverty. The question is at this point, what's really stopping us from caring for the poor? Is it really our system? Let's dig in a little bit on the statistics. Did you know that nearly one half of the wealthiest one percent lives in the U.S.? When you look at global population, the wealthy one percent that we hate so much. Did you know that nearly one half of the one percent in the world lives in the United States? Let me give you another statistic. To be in that wealthiest one percent, you only need to make thirty-four k a year. 
suddenly the wealth becomes very limited to right? So 34 a year in our country doesn't make us in the wealthy 1%, but in the global population, it makes us in the 1%. Now, let's use process that for a second. Right? The poverty level income in the U.S. is $4,000. That's the poverty level in the U.S. So we're talking about poverty level. And then $4,000 for every additional living household. So a family of five making $34K a year is at the poverty level. Which means they're at risk of all these developmental issues. Just the same as somebody in a developing country that makes less than $34K a year. Same emotional impact. Same physical impact. This problem, according to Pew Research, 93% of the world lives less than $18,350 a year. 93% of the is a culture of generosity for everyone to participate. Everyone to participate. We see this in verse 9. But this is gained from a land that in every way the king commanded to cultivate fields. That's his solution. But this is a gain for a land in every way the king committed to cultivate fields. Make a team that knows how to cultivate a field that can actually go in and do something that benefits other people to stick them as the stones and multiply and grow. That is what changes the world. That's what he's advocating for. The point is that our little can do much around the world. And our little can do much in the world that we live in, the country that we live in. Well, we need to let people that believe that in the message of Jesus that everybody has value and that, that we will be willing to spend this redemptive work through our actions and the way we give our money and the way we spend our money and that we will care about someone that's around us, maybe someone that's around us and help them take a step forward in a way that cultivates a field. Remember, we take our little bit and we find a way to make it sustainable. We invest and we give and we participate in things that empower people. That's why we get involved with the people that we're with. The reason we start with the bridge problems is because it's empowering kids through education. That in third grade, if they're reading at the third grade level, that their kids are going to follow their age of kids. Changes their economic trajectory to be still alive. The reason we get involved with the family tree and hope that they will benefit by us is because they are creating sustainable and they're investing in an entire being physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. It's an opportunity for us to help somebody, empower somebody, create a better path for themselves and their kids. 
So we take the little bit that we have as a church and we rest it in big ways and make community and make a big difference. And I want you to do is I want you to take that mentality into your personal life, into your bank account, and I want you to begin the process over the next couple of months. What's, what, what's one little thing we can do to make a big difference? Considering that most people around the world live on $2 a day, that's 15% of the world's population live on $2 a day, can you put $2 a day aside? Give it to somebody that would help sustain them and empower them. What would it look like for your family to be in a prayer along those lines and stir them and things along those lines? You know, find the lines like this. God's wisdom when it comes to money is find something worth giving your heart to and allow everything else to resource it. See, when God says is that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also, you know, pastors have used that to manipulate you to say, hey, Throw your money in the church plate, and somehow you'll find a heart for God. And that's not the Bible's teaching at all. It's a way to say, you want to know what you really value? Look at your bank account. Where are you spending your money? And, and you don't change the way you spend your money. You change your heart. God wants to change your heart, not your bank account. So what do you do? You throw your heart into something that's worth giving it to. And when you do that, you're going to find ways to make it work. You're going to find ways to be generous. It may not be the, the, the level that you want it to be, but you're going to be able to be generous and to culture the generosity that cares for someone else besides ourselves. You see, the truth is that life is bigger than money. Let's look back. That's the song of the With all of these in the life is bigger than money, let's look back.